I am dreading talking about Colorado Space. I'm not. This is the first thing that I'm really like want to tear apart. I mean, when I can't, when we had the name, I was like, yeah, we're gonna tear shit apart. And then we realized, oh, we're not gonna really tear shit apart. Like, let's. Be, but this, I want to fucking. The color, which resembled some of the bands in the meteor's strange spectrum, was almost impossible to describe, and it was only by analogy that they called it color at all. Big flash, <clears throat> like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before, and then everything just blew up or fell from the sky. <laughs> the fruit was growing to phenomenal size and unwanted gloss, but with the ripening came sore disappointment. For of all that gorgeous array of specious lusciousness, not one single jot was fit to eat. Nate, are you listening to me? You know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I followed every fucking rule in the book. In the end, they still fucking taste like shit. You know what? Fuck that. Tear them up! Do you have any idea how much those animals cost us? They are alpacas. Alpacas. Tear them up! Alpacas. I'm eating a hostess cupcake. <laughs> and it's affecting my professional. <laughs> Is it a good cupcake? <laughs> Not really. Alpacas. I'm Paul Yelovich. I'm Evan Dorkin. With a cupcake in his mouth. That's right. That's, that's, a, that's what they call it. I'm not going to like the way that sounds on the... If you put well, it in the Well, let's show. do it again. Alpacas. You're no. Evan Dorkin. Ah, uh, you're Paul Yelovich. No, Poor Yelovich. <laughs> Alpacas. Episode 11, Color Out of Space. You're Paul Yelovich. I'm Paul Yelovich. You're I'm Evan Dorkin. Dorkin. And I was eating a hostess cupcake that got in my mouth. And this is the Tear It Apart podcast. Holy Christ. 11th episode. Yay. Yeah, this one, this is pretty quick after the last one, which is mm. great. That's because it's a special event. Well, we went to the movies. We were at the movies like Siskel and Ebert this week. Yeah, and uh, it's the first time I've gone to the movies since Moana came out. So that with the family. And this is the first time I think I've seen a movie with you guys since Matrix 2, you said, which is a long fucking time ago. Yeah. I've seen yeah. very... This is the first movie... First new movie I've seen in the theater in years. First horror movie I've seen in the theater in pff, 20 years. Wow. Not counting all the Exhumed shows, but new release. Unfortunately, what movie did we see, Paul? Color Out of Space. Burr, 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 burr. This whole episode contains spoilers for Color Out of Space. Spoilers. We fucking hated it. Hated it. Absolutely fucking hated it. I mean, the audience hated it. You could feel it. And we were in a small theater. We started at the IFC Scary Center. small theater. Mm. I was like surprised. It was a weird little crowd. But they did laugh at the wrong places. Because right. the movie was a piece of crap. And um, I think that we were all on the same wavelength by the end of this film. Because people were definitely losing their patience with it. Yeah, I think people were laughing at the wrong times. Definitely. Nicolas Cage was getting all the laughs. And I don't think he was supposed to. And I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest problems with the movie. Like I said, I think if you hire Nicolas Cage to be a family man in a movie, were you supposed to care? I think if you look at a film like Mandy, which, which I, I know... Still, I still have to finish. Right. I only watched the first 10, 15 minutes of it and I bailed for various reasons. Nicolas Cage is the star of Mandy. So his caginess, his <clears throat> over-the-top acting style yeah. is there. So if you like that, you get that for the whole film. Color Out of Space, you don't. He's not in it that much. He's in it more than he needs to be. I honestly didn't think 
There are so many things wrong with this movie. Let's start with what's right. Okay. I didn't like anything. I didn't like a single thing about this I movie. I thought the beginning was promising. Well, the, you're talking about the credits? Yeah. The credits were beautiful. They're just shots of the woods and they're gorgeous. You know what I'm saying? But we don't get that through the... The, the film... No. The absol- in fact, you get no sense of the place, uh, which is a big thing about color. Well, Color Out of Space is H.P. Lovecraft's story. It's one of my favorite stories of his. Okay. I don't dislike the movie just because it's a bad Lovecraft story. I don't think it's a good movie if you came into this cold. I don't think it's a good adaptation. I don't think it's a good horror movie. I don't think it's a good movie. I think it fails on every level. And one of them is definitely atmosphere. Because those first few shots, you can tell everybody was hooked. They were creepy. The opening narration was clunky. Actual script writing is terrible in this movie. The dialogue terrible well personally one of the things i hate about movies is when there's exposition dumps i hate exposition dumps. there's not a lot to say in this movie and yet they somehow still make it annoying and characters who basically are only know things because they have to they they make conjecture constantly and if you know the story the movie seems to have been made for people who like lovecraft the problem is i think that if you like lovecraft on almost every level this movie's not a good lovecraft i actually found a lot of the lovecraft stuff distracting yeah in the very beginning there's there's a it looks like the yellow sign right there's a doll chambers yeah yeah. there's the this tv station's logo is lovecraft's elder sign yeah the the branches absolutely stupid right i mean but that's another thing you you were talking about the tone of the movie is all over the place and it is yeah it's between fantasy shout outs and then super serious sequences and then actual buffoon-like comedy in segments mm. for no reason I can understand whatsoever. Uh, the, the, it, the movie just, is a, it feels like a hodgepodge of approaches. Well, you had said, after we saw the movie, we went to a bar and we were talking about yeah. it. We saw it with Carl and Carl Brian. Carl and Brian, right. And they both hated it. Yeah, we all, nobody liked this movie. <laughs> nobody, you could, people were grumbling and it's, a couple of people opened up their mouths. Movie's not scary. Absolutely did not phase me once. None of the gore, none of the horror elements, none of the set pieces, none of the kills, if you want. You know, I was not scared once. I didn't flinch once. It's a loud movie that has a couple of jump scares, and those don't even work. As a Lovecraft fan, I'm sure there's a laundry list of things you would like to see in a Lovecraft movie. Dread and horror is really... Yeah, Creepiness, decay... None of it. A surreal sense of That's another thing. They did, they did get, let's take a step back because this movie's been made before. Mm. Uh, there's a terrible Will Wheaton, Claude Aikens film called The Curse that people might have seen. Tastes funny. It makes vegetables taste weird. There's nothing wrong with the water. to stop the curse which has a sequel actually two sequels which have nothing to do with the first one the second one has a guy with a snake arm no that's probably what happened and i forget and i forget what happened with the third one but it's one of those uh franchises where they just make a movie and throw the curse on them okay but the curse is color out of space the color out of space and it follows the story more closely it has no budget it's a piece of crap 
somehow it's better than well, this. Well, why is it a piece of crap? I've seen it a long time ago. It just felt It's like, just junk. Yeah, it's just cheesy, junky. Cheap. It's got no money. There's two things that I wanted to touch on. One, the story is meteorite lands on farmer's property. This is the uh, in the 20s. It's a period piece. And the meteorite deposits a, a color out of space, an entity, which is not really a, a creature necessarily. It's an, either an intelligence or it's just an entity that sticks around for a while, but it degenerates the entire area. People start to become affected. The crops become affected. The animals. The animals. But even the house becomes affected. The whole area becomes this blasted heath, I think. And I think the story is told, and this is only important for this version of the Colorado Space, the story is told by a guy who's researching it, and he's talking to a homesteader that lives outside of the Blasted Heath who was there for the entire thing. Spoilers, because it's an old story, and probably everybody going to see it kind of knows it already. There's not much of a plot to this story. Right. The plot of A Color Out of Space is, well, there's not much of a plot to most Lovecraft, and this is where most Lovecraft movies fail, because there's not much plot, and there's almost no character in a Lovecraft story, by and large, other than... Uh, Innsmouth, and to a lesser degree, Dunwich Horror. He doesn't care about character. He doesn't really care about plot mechanics. It's atmosphere, it's concepts, it's dread. And in Color Out of Space, it's literally um, something shows up, fucks up everything, and leaves. Right. And nobody knows what the hell it was, but it leaves and it might have a lingering effect on the uh, environment. And the end of the story, you're supposed to be fearful of this dam project that's going to put water over this area. This is the only movie version I remember where they keep the idea of, an out, of a guy coming in who doesn't have much to do with the plot. Unfortunately, they make him a character in the movie that is involved. In The Curse, they don't use this device. And in Die Farbe, I don't know how to pronounce the German, but The Farm, which is a German movie made by a Vietnamese director, which a lot of people like. You haven't seen it, right? No, I have not seen it. I don't dislike it. I don't think it's very good. But what I do think it's leagues above... Colorado space is in environment and atmosphere. Well, and yeah, track. that's what I remember was recommended about it. They, it had an the, interesting the director, I believe, does the effects, and he does them all on a budget. It's done in black and white, and it's period. And I believe the curse is period also, or at least it's done in the backwoods where this family has no real help for them. Colorado space updates the movie, which kind of helps knife it in half right then and there. There's so much unbelievable shit going on in the movie because modern technology has to be dealt with. And this family does not feel isolated. They're also not backwards. And they don't feel trapped. They don't feel trapped. They don't feel isolated. They're big city people who have moved to this. I guess they're in Massachusetts because they're talking about Arkham and all these other places. And what the narrator character uh, is got a Miskatonic shirt. So right off the bat, you know, these people are ding dongs because to put a Miskatonic (laughs) shirt on somebody in 2020 is a 20-year-old, 30-year-old bad fan joke at this point. Yeah, I found all I found that all so distracting. As someone who knew what these things meant, right. it took me out of the movie because it wasn't organic. I would rather not know. That when they show the narrator character reading a very clean copy of Algernon Blackwood's The Willows, kind of turning it, so it's just such a contrived, had to shove that in there. You know, it's not a background element. It's like, yes, we understand you like this stuff. That's great. I don't think he gets it. He, I don't think he knows how to adapt this stuff. And you said he's been thinking about doing this since he was a kid? Crazy. I heard that this is the first proposed movie in a trilogy with Dunwich Horror being the next one. Richard Stanley, who's famous for getting kicked off of the 
Island of Dr. Island Moreau. Island of Dr. Moreau film. And, and you get callbacks to that dumb thing. That well, what like, I find interesting is the movie that made him, or the movie that where he was a there was a buzz about him, was Hardware. Hardware. And there's n- so many more interesting elements, visual elements in Hardware. A movie I do not like. I don't love Hardware, but it's a, it's a good B-movie made on a budget. I mean, there are different ways to approach Lovecraft. And it really seems that still to this day, the best approach is somebody with some talent taking part of a story and expanding it. The thing is, to make a movie out of Lovecraft, you have to expand. It's all going to be up to what do you add or take away from the story? Because none of his stories are truly... I mean, even Mountains of Madness. Uh, Guillermo del Toro wants... I don't know why you would be so have such a hard-on to make a movie which has a great opening and some really exciting scenes and then is a travelogue about two guys looking at art in, in the dark uh, <laughs> under the ice. I don't think anything is unfilmable. But depending on length, budget, and what you bring to the table, Color Out of Space fails on every level. Because not, not only does he bring nothing to it, he takes away from it. The interesting aspects of the story is crushed under the wheels of modernizing it. And not, you know, he brings gore, whoop-de-doo. But there's not that much of it. But there's not that much of it. He brings monsters. I mean, how many times in the movie did you think about other movies? Well, it was amazing that you're watching it, a movie in 2020 and going, I like The Thing, I like The Exorcist, I like Poltergeist. Right, exactly. It's a, it's a blender of a lot of things you've seen before. There's Why? nothing really Why? original. Yeah. And, and the direction's rather pedestrian. And the look is rather pedestrian. You feel like whoever shot the, op- the credit sequences, because it probably wasn't him, they usually have another unit doing things like go shoot the trees. You have no sense of environment or of a family collapsing. Not only that, but it feels like a 90s film in some ways, or an 80s film. It feels like logic only matters when they want it to. When we need to get rid of phones or telecommunications or trap them, we have an, a, a reason. There's no reason for why everybody go, agrees this is radioactive, this meteorite, but we won't have scientists come out. No, and in the original story, that he handles this better. There's no Geiger counters. There's nobody worried about anything. Nobody's worried about a thing. In fact, those early scenes are played for comedy about how stupid... Nicholas Cage is for calling in well does he even call in the press because they just jump cut to the mayor shows up a caricature of a Jaws mayor who wants <laughs> things all brushed aside for Dude. the oh. Reservoir Project which is taking the place of tourist season you know everything you've seen before in this movie it's kind of scary how like nobody seemed to look at this script and just go this is bullshit this is every scene in this movie uh, every, every plot component in this movie seems to be from another movie. Meteorite lands and everything disappears. Nobody in this modern world of ours is concerned about radioactivity doing anything to their well, which is 10 feet the fuck away, this fake looking well. (laughs) They're supposedly out in the middle of nowhere, but they have a hippie neighbor. The meteorite starts affecting things immediately. In the original story and in the adaptations that have been made so far, there is a systematic way that things fall apart. The meteor lands scientists i think in both movies do come out and go well this is weird let's take samples but they're not able to affect anything because the material disappears and what's happened is this color out of space entity has soaked in it's gone into the well the farm well and it's kind of soaking into the environment it's affecting the environment in both the curse and the farm and the original story there is no agenda the creature has no agenda, if you can call it even a creature. The right. cosmic horror is that this 
is a thing that happened and it doesn't matter. No. That they're Classic a- Lovecraft. It's and it's that's what's probably one of the creepiest things about the story is that there is no enemy. There is no and there's no there's no Nazi force or alien monster or predator or there's no xenomorph. The environment is falling apart. You can't leave your house and your family is rotting. You're rotting. Your crops are and it's it's just about despair. And the cosmo, the cosmos don't give a fuck, right? I mean, this thing shits, eats, and leaves, and you're you're out of luck. And it might actually affect the the whole area. This movie, for some reason, they decided that the it's not enough that a family's going crazy. And you, oh, and you've got The Shining, because the family starts going crazy. But unfortunately, they have made the monster sort of an enemy. So there's something to defeat. So there's something visual. And you know the movie's right off the rails because they start going, well, it's like a color out of space. They literally say it's a color yeah. out of space because everybody talks in exposition in this movie. And you have a narrator, which is terrible. Nicolas Cage, I believe his character says, it wasn't any color you've ever seen before. And you, watching this movie, <laughs> see pink. Yeah. And people are literally going, it's pink in the audience. Right. You can't put that across on film. And they're not even trying. Right. Um, why even put that line in there? So they try to juice this by having uh, static in your face and colors blinding you and noise. It doesn't work. Yeah. You can't put yourself into it. It it basically becomes a trip movie a bunch of times, an LSD movie. When I was talking before about Mandy, I think if you had the director of Mandy make this, because Mandy is unsettling. The first 10 minutes of Mandy are more color out of space than this entire movie. And I didn't even like it. Much. Unsettling. Yeah. There's an the at the very end of Mandy. There's a scene of Nicolas Cage covered in blood. Yeah. He's driving in a car and he looks. He's turned, but he's looking directly at the audience. Yeah. And it's chilling. It's just there was nothing chilling. In unbelievably this movie. chilling. This movie has no aesthetic. It has no understanding of how to put horror or dread or creepiness across. It just thinks that if there's creepy things going on, that's all it has to do to sell you on it. And then, so what happens in this movie is that immediately things start to go wrong. The dog disappears. Uh, they have alpacas. This is like a running joke, which I don't think <laughs> is supposed to be a running joke. Now, I don't know. Do you think the filmmakers knew that they were bringing in Nicolas Cage to turn this camp? Because the audience yeah. laughed the entire time. Well, and I, I is laughed any, his, I, I, I was laughing the whole time. Every word that comes out of his mouth. But then everything seemed funny. Look, when you watch um, Reanimator, yeah. Right now, if you read the stories, those stories are pulpy stories. And for Lovecraft, they're actually funny. Yeah. yeah. So the thing is, there's people who think that they might be parody, but it's hard to tell. Right now, when you so when you're watching Reanimator, you're not watching a faithful adaptation no. of one of his stories. I didn't know the stories when I first saw Reanimator either. Right. It's good. It's but it's a good movie because right. it brings. This is the thing. Gordon brings things to the table that make the movie good. That's actually funny, though. Reanimator has a lot of plot. They jettisoned it because they had no money. Because <laughs> Reanimator, Herbert West Reanimator, actually is a movie that I'm surprised has not been remade as a series. Right. Because it's the adventures of this sick bastard running around <laughs> yeah. uh, World War I battlefields <laughs> and at colleges and ruining entire towns yeah. with his necro, uh, with body snatching. Necromancy? Kill, necromancy and Frankensteinian. And it's actually very funny. And a lot of people put down... Herbert West, Reanimator, as minor Lovecraft. I actually think it's hilarious. It's possible he may have invented uh, flesh-eating zombies mm. in those stories. Right. Or a very early version of the Romero-style zombie. 
and there's a lot of crazy shit going and i love the idea that he basically has to pack town with his friend and get the fuck out of dodge at the end of all these stories those movies the craziness isn't it doesn't seem like it's in the body of one actor yeah nicholas cage yeah. looks like he's bringing crazy tommy chong isn't even that over no the top. actually tommy chong plays it the role he's supposed to play as this hippie it's it's a sloppy script it does not do anything right can't cover its own ass you've got this typical family that seems to be the you know the upscale out of towners he's trying to he's running an alpaca farm and she's a broker or something i didn't they're obviously super rich uh the movie is so on the nose dunderheaded that as somebody pointed out she has to wear business suits to work in her own yeah. house yeah which makes no fucking sense <laughs> the thing you need for this movie to work is that you need to believe in this family and you also don't know who the main character of this movie is because you were introduced to your narrator is an african-american guy from miskatonic university who is surveying the area for a reservoir project the first person he meets as he's actually the, i think the first person you meet is the daughter of in the this family, family right who is basically uh, a dollar store version of Farusa balk from the craft except really annoying uh it's a real failure of the script to make her likable She's a character who doesn't want to live where she lives. She wants to be back in a city or at least some town that's more interesting. She's bohemian. She's into Wiccan or something like Wiccan magic. They don't know what to make of her. She's just trapping. Everything is trapping. Uh, is he African-American because Lovecraft was a racist? Don't know because yeah. they don't go deep on anything. They don't know. Everybody is just a chess piece in this game. Why is she into magic and what does that have to do with the movie really? Because... Lovecraft doesn't have magic in his stories except sort of, of in Dreams House. of the Witch House. Sure. But he also breaks magic down as mathematics. But he normally doesn't use devil stuff or witchcraft. So if you're, if you're a Lovecraft fan, you're like, why is she bringing a knife to a gunfight? Her character being a Wiccan or a witch actually does nothing but add window dressing. She has no effect on the movie. The movie uh, is not set up to be a, a visually stunning movie. It's more of... A character study. But the characters, of these characters, they don't study the characters. Not at they're, all. They're two dimensional. Very Sh cliche. And why is there a paperback version of the Necronomicon that everybody sort of knows about and she's using it as a grimoire? That's, it just opens up stupid questions. It's just stupid. And it's, it's so hard to attack it straight through because it's such an annoying fucking movie. Well, I, so you don't, right off the bat, she's obnoxious. The narrator is useless, he adds nothing to the movie either. Does he actually do anything that changes this movie in any way, shape, or form? Well, he gets in a fistfight at the end. Well, we'll get into that. That's a great... You know, what, is, what did Lovecraft need at the end of his books? Fistfights. Well, yeah, you were but, saying not that. Yeah, because that's what I want to see at the end of a Lovecraft movie. A fistfight. I honestly think that, unfortunately, the way we felt about this film, we could almost go minute by minute and... Literally. Wrong. Literally, I could... Why? I, there Why? is nothing... There are no good choices in this. I mean, Alpacas brings nothing to the table. It's just... Wow, this is this is 2020. They'd have alpacas. Well, they, but maybe they. Who cares? But it's a joke, and it, it sets becomes up for a joke. The thing. But the, the thing is, it, does, like it doesn't thing. have. It, well, that scene is completely the thing, and that that's another scene that I you could pick apart. I mean, everything in this movie is. I don't even know if we're doing a good job of going over. Was it Brian who said? Somebody said, the amazing thing about this movie is that everything's fixable, and it is. But here's the other thing: we don't really know much about this family. They're all given like. They're like pre-rolled characters for, well, for RPG. We have a, we have a, a daughter, a daughter who's who awakened, hates being in the house. A son isn't get, who smokes weed. That's his whole character. He yes. smokes weed. And um, does he really ever seem high in the entire movie, though? 
He has no personality. He doesn't seem fucked up. He doesn't seem upset. He has no character. He's there to do a couple of physical things that don't even really affect anything. And to be into space so that he can say some exposition later on. She's a witch and he's into science. And we have a younger boy who's... who's the poltergeist girl. Yes. And has nothing to do with the story either except be a victim. The pacing is terrible in this movie. The pacing is terrible script-wise. The pacing is terrible film-wise. Everything seems to go to hell and then things seem to be normal again. People don't seem to have the conversation that they need to have to establish that maybe they should leave the house. They can leave the house at any time in this movie. It's, and we talked about this a lot. I mean, there's two types of movies that strand people. You, there's a storm that fucks up the roads. You can't get out. There's zombies out there. Well, there's a plague. The, the, the woods are enchanted. I can't find my way out of the woods. Which they touch upon... In a very stupid way. And very late in the film. Very late. It feels like they were made They made 20% of the movie and some guy just walked in eating an apple and gone, why don't they just leave? And then walks out again and they all went, oh, fuck. Oh, that apple was rotten. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they blow that scene too. <laughs> they blow every scene that you're like, the easiest scene to do is the scene that's in all of these kinds of movies is the crops are going bad. You know, so there's going to be blood in the apples or there's going to be tomatoes that burst out with worms. They turn this into a Nicolas Cage freakout scene. Mm. But the way his family acts, it feels like maybe he does this every Tuesday. He's got Jack Torrance syndrome right. up the ass. Exactly. He's, he's looking... worse than Nicholson in The Shining. And I love that movie, but I do get it that Nicholson brings baggage. And you already go, well, Nicholson's going to go nuts. He at least looks like he's passing better than Nicolas Cage does, who starts becoming crazy before the fucking meteor lands. <laughs> he's bizarre. Yeah, he's off. He's Nicolas Cage. Well, I don't believe him as a family man. I don't believe him as a husband here. I don't believe him as having a family. I don't believe him as a father. I don't believe him as taking care of alpacas. I don't believe him as cooking dinner. His wife... So Jolie Richardson, the horrible role of being the woman who's going to suffer, she has cancer. And obviously they hint that it's very bad because she's black humor joking about having no legs possibly in the future. Her daughter is doing Wiccan magic to in order her. to save her. So they go live an hour away from the nearest hospital, which you don't even know is a good cancer ward. Why on earth would they do that? Did they really go into the reason? Did he bully them into this? Because you don't quite get why they've decided well, to I think do this. I think the father died. I think that's the father's... Right, but why is this Mosquito Coast bullshit going I, I, on? I don't know. But the idea that in the, today's day and age, with everybody scared of shit hitting the planet and scared of terrorism and all that... A meteor lands? I mean, you don't even get meteor shit stuff from Creepshow. If there was more about the movie that was engaging... You'd let that the, go, maybe. Of course. I think but, you could But it's really... It go. begs a lot of questions. It asks a lot of questions. It doesn't answer anything. So the meteor lands, and you have to accept that the meteor lands, and there's no hoopla over it. In fact, you have to not only accept that, but you have to accept that the local TV stations make fun of the family for making claims about there being a meteor, even though there were people at the site, and they know that there was a meteor, and it disappeared, and... It just, it plays as a joke, and it is a joke. I mean, like you said, there's Lovecraftian symbols, and there's a call letters that are like Lovecraft stuff, and they make fun of Nicolas Cage. He blurts out that he just had sex with his wife for the first time in six months. That shouldn't even be in a first fucking draft. Who you can't take it was. That, a it's, lot of but it's stuff, just garbage. A lot of stuff could have just been But this is, what the, this is what the director-writer brings to this movie, to fill up the 70% that Lovecraft never gives you to make a movie. You know, you've got a situation, you've got uh, basic characters, and this is what he brings to it. He just avoids reality 
when he feels like it, why modernize it? Why fucking modernize it? So he could have the TV, so he could have... I mean, he brings in Tommy Chong, who's got all this technology and knows what's going on, but the government doesn't, <laughs> and scientists don't. I know, I know, but yeah. this is the problem with the movie. Yeah, you can, it's just, it's just, it, this it, movie it, is pick apartable at every moment. Yeah, it really is. So she goes to the hospital because she cuts her fingers off in a scene you've never seen before, the woman making dinner, and then she cuts her fingers off. Which is only the only scene in the movie that has any tension in it because the little, the little boy is going into the room and the way that they set it up by cutting back and forth between the little boy going into the kitchen and her doing the I'm blanked out Prince of Darkness thing, typing at the typewriter. And you're thinking, well, she's not going to cut her fingers off because you've seen that scene mm. a million times. And it really felt like the little boy was going to actually interrupt it. And that would have been an interesting scene to play on your expectations. Nope. She cuts her fingers off and then goes to the hospital and... Mom's gone insane and cut off two of her fingers. She gets and she has cancer and all this. You know, she has an operation and then she comes home the next night because they need to get the parents out of the house so that not what happens that you didn't need the parents in the house. The parents don't make normal good decisions in the rest of the movie. It's you're asking the wrong guy. It's lazy bullshit. Also, they get to drive and see the cat monster that gets made. So in this movie, they don't have things just go wrong. They have mutants. There's a mutant insect comes out of the well the cat becomes a mutant later on you see something grab somebody from the trees none of this is followed up on though this is just seasoning this is just you know what i mean this is just black pepper thrown around they all come back and the family's just basically going slightly crazy or very crazy or as you said are they possessed can't tell are they poisoned well here's the thing the movie doesn't give you any uh the movie tells you everything and nothing because at the end of the movie, you have characters saying, you have dead characters coming back to life and saying stuff like The Exorcist to other characters for no reason whatsoever except this is what you do in horror movies, right? Isn't it cool when somebody comes back from the dead and starts talking like another character to freak out your main character? Except it's not our main character. The girl never quite becomes our main character, even though she seems to be the focus. Nicolas Cage never quite becomes our right. main character. He's really just there to go goofy like the stepfather and get fucked up like Jack Torrance. But he has no relationship with his family. You don't live with these characters like in The Shining. At least The Shining kind of abuses you. You've got Stockholm Syndrome. You're stuck with them for two hours. These people go nuts off the bat. And since Nick Cage is Nick Cage, so has he gone nuts? They hint that he's an alcoholic. But we don't know because he starts drinking heavily after he's already either possessed or affected they undercut everything the the creature is mysterious and you've never seen anything before and it has no agenda but yet it starts electrically blasting people and spoilers the mother and the child are fused together into a something you've seen from the thing the beyond and basket case and that's the that's actually the big central horror piece yeah is that they've been turned into a thing that they obviously didn't have the money to make because they're always in blankets and you never get to see any anything that's really really horrible in this movie they can't show and i th- feel like it's not because they don't want to show it they're perfectly fine showing the color out of space which is supposed to be unknowable you don't feel bad for the kid and the mother you actually feel good for them because they're getting out of this movie <laughs> i swear to god and when the alpacas all turn into the dogs from the thing you don't even see what they look like and that scene is undercut because the brother encounters them first and even though you don't see a lot of what's going on, you've basically seen the monster. So when Nicolas Cage comes into the barn afterwards, you know, first the brother goes to feed the alpacas and he sees that they've all been fucked up and that they've all turned into creatures. You see close-ups of their mouths, their eyes, so you know that there's a monster in there. 
There's no tension when Nicolas Cage goes in there to, to shoot them. It's just a crazy scene for him to have blood all over himself and to kill monsters. But it's the thing. It's the scene where Richard Mister and everybody has Oh, to, exactly that. It's exactly the thing. So Jack Torrance from The Shining goes in to kill the creatures from the thing and then sit down and have Poltergeist TV multiple times. Yeah. I mean, the movie is just a meandering fucking mess. The color out of space physically affects certain things, mutates others, and then seems to possess still others. But the brother and the sister don't seem to be affected much at all. Now, is this because they drank less of the water? Well, no. But I they seem like, to have been drinking the no, water. No, if you look at it, a lot of characters seem to have these on and off times. That's Nicholas what's Cage awful. is on, and then he's a little relaxed. The, the mother, mother comes home okay, but yeah. then she goes crazy right. again. And, and Then she's electromutated in with the kid. The kid seems to be fascinated by the, the well and hear voices all the time. But why don't other people hear voices? Why don't they? It's... It's just I, a complete mess. The alpacas all go wrong, but the, the horse doesn't. To, until they need it to. Right, exactly. The horse is the smartest fucking thing in the movie. It runs away. <laughs> That's where the movie, fit on a, just a pure pragmatic level, the movie got to a point where I actually just fucking went, run away. And the guy in front of me just went, right? <laughs> and the whole fucking audience was getting, like, run away. During that same scene of nobody will run away, brother decides he's got to go find... Big Brother decides he's got to find his dog that's been missing and they haven't talked about you know, in like... How many days does this movie take place also? Five? Ten? Two? No idea. There's no sense of place. There's no sense of time. That's not trippy either. That's not like mutated and warped. Because so, at one point they go, well, time changes. They just tell... This is the other thing. Two big failures. One, the brother says, time's all like slowed down and messed up. But there's no indication of no that. No indication of that at all. I think the clock goes funny once. People react to this as if you just said the refrigerator needs to be plugged back in. Nobody has a conversation. She spits exposition out about. They all know suddenly how what this thing is and how everything's working. They like they just know. At one point, her and the brother have a talk about it. He explains the science analytics <laughs> from space because he has a computer, and she talks about the uh, metaphysical aspects of it because she's read the paperback Necronomicon. Car finally breaks down because it also affects the car. In the story, the trees start moving, the animals go bad, the entire environment changes. It becomes this kind of Wonka wonderland hell. Mm. Everything, the, first, the bounty, everything's beautiful. Everything's ripe, everything's colored beautifully, the whole farm. In this movie, the edge of the woods becomes pink and fanciful. That's it. You don't know how deep it runs. It, it's like a frost. It's not, a, it's not a huge snowfall keeping them there. It's like the sprinkling of snow. And they keep coming up with reasons not to leave. And then at the end, they don't walk away. And they can. Just like the scene where the brother says, time is fucked up. The brother comes back. They go, where were you? He goes, I got lost. Remember that scene? Mm. And he explains to her, to the sister and the audience, the trees were moving. It was like something was wrong with the woods. Now... That would have been nice to see. That would have been, exactly. That is the worst thing in the entire movie from a scripting point of view is they tell, don't show. Every. And that's the scene that would have showed you that all all routes right. take them back to the house. Because maybe he was just high. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. It's full of un, unreliable narrators. Now, you can't just get away with saying everything's unreliable or everything's fucked up because it's Lovecraft and it's eldritch and it's cosmic. Because what you're seeing is physically real on the screen. When you're reading in a book, you can, and the book is over-detailing what's going on, you can come up with, oh, wow, the trees are making noise. 
That's creepier than anything in this movie. The only scene that might be effective in the movie is when they find Tommy Chong dead and all his tape equipment is going, but that's been done before too. Oh, here's another thing. The movie ends four times. There was no reason for that for the end of this movie to be ten minutes. Which after. is which is always a fuss. You could tell thing. everybody being really really just like you've got to be fucking kidding me. The rules change throughout the entire movie. There are no rules. There are no rules. There really are no rules. But they sort of set them up. I mean, for the viewer at least, you don't think that there is a consciousness to the Colorado space. And then at the end, Nicolas Cage comes back from the dead to punch out the narrator <laughs> because the narrator might have been wanting to fuck his daughter, who could be underage for all we know. We don't know. Right. No one feels like a real person. It's like Brian was saying. Brian said the only scene that worked for him was the scene where Nicolas Cage decides not to kill the creature that's his wife and son, mm. that he's going to find a way to fix it. There is tension in that scene because you're expecting him to kill them. But then he bends down and kisses his wife because they've had that conversation. Would he still find her attractive if she was fucked up from cancer? And I, I was thinking about, yeah, that is okay. But then I realized, wait a minute, it's not a good scene. Because he kisses her even though she's all full of caro syrup and fake blood and shit. And there's strings coming yeah. off of her and he's and he does it again. And it's, it's a cheap gross out. And Brian felt that that was, that was a tender scene, but they undercut that by the fact that at that point, he's clearly insane. So you can't trust his feelings. So it's not a tender scene between them. You know what I'm saying? I know. Oh, well, no, I know. I, I can see that you're yeah. like, you're like, you're, you're looking at me like you were watching the movie. The, the problem is there is, there, I, I can't express how nothing in this movie worked for me. It's not a good Lovecraft movie. It's yeah, not a good yeah. crazy Nicolas Cage movie. If this was going to be a visually interesting film, it needed more. That's effect. true. If it was going to be a family-oriented horror film, it, it needed more. It, yeah. If it wanted to be otherworldly, it had to do something. If it was body horror, Cronenberg, it had to keep it had on to doing be more. It. If it was survival horror, yeah. It's they spend a lot of time on the couch and sitting at tables and, and just yeah, it just it's it, just it does not work. It does not work. Well, that's the whole point. You nitpick everything at movies, is wrong on this movie. You nitpick at movies when you're bored and you feel like you're frustrated when you're not being taken along for a ride. You're not taken along for a ride in this. And yeah, at the end, they feel like they needed some actions. We need some of that, you know, uh, insidious looking stuff. And literally the end of the movie looks like insidious type scenes. Dead ghosts on the couch, the family teleporting, visions, and a fist fight. It ends there, then it ends again, uh, <laughs> because the, they show you that the, uh, the, the narrator lives even though he shouldn't. Because they sh if, if the earth is poisoned and everything is disgusting and screwed up because of the... Why being in a basement wouldn't save you. And he comes out and there's a blasted heath and he literally starts talking about the color out of space several times. And then you get back to the... The surveying stuff with the water and he's like oh don't drink the water it's going to be bad and you figure that's the end but no they are so f the, the authorial anxiety that you don't get it they show one of the mutant bugs show up yeah. over the title yeah it's so fucking bad so anyway it's so you the fucking worst so you wouldn't recommend color out of space i would stay as far away from this as possible i would only go to see this to see how is if if you were somebody interested in filmmaking and picking things apart and you wanted to see how things can still go wrong or if you're a, you're a Lovecraft fan and you really just, you know, I, I would want to see this on cable or whatever the fuck streaming because it's Lovecraft. And I'm fascinated by by watching so many people take a shot at this. You could watch Manding and pretend that's Lovecraft. It's such immature filmmaking. It's it's not a good movie. No. I honestly issues. wouldn't mind betting 50 bucks that this script was written years ago and honed and played with and fucked with and not really well thought out. 
And I went in, I did go in with an open mind. I'll admit I'm biased against Nicolas Cage. But I do want to point out that we did not go to see Color Out of Space with the idea of talking about it, which may seem crazy, but we never once said, oh, you know, we're going to cover this on the podcast. Well, we, I figured we probably would, but I didn't think it, we would hate we, it. We as didn't much discuss as we did. it. We weren't, but we, it was not the point of seeing the movie. It's interesting, though, because, I mean, I'm, I had a great time, though. We had a great time. Getting together with, with you guys and going to the movies was just so much fun. I mean, also, what was I got to admit that it was fun that the audience was kind of all together on this. I mean, people were mo- groaning and laughing. And yeah, no going, one was mad at no. us not enjoying the movie. Well, we weren't like yelling at the movie, but lots. I saw a lot. I was amazed how many people were on their phones. I wanted to like the movie. I had a ton of fun hanging out uh, and watching it and all of it. And I didn't sit with you either. So it's not like you and I were... No, we elbowing weren't. each other and going, "Holy crap, we got to make a note of this." Yeah. But I was, you know, the funny thing is, one, I was worried that watching a movie would be very different because of the podcast. You know, not that this is like our, our business or anything like that, but you know, it's part of our life. We do this, and it's good. But not until the movie really got going and was like maybe halfway over, I was like, I, "Maybe we're gonna," you know, in my head, I'm like, because <laughs> I was sitting with Brian, and we were just like, "Oh my god." The guy in front of me was doing the same with his. I mean, the whole audience was was really one. It was only about like how many people are in that theater? Oh, and it was fifty full. maybe. I wish we had seen one cut of the dead in the theater. Holy shit! We both love the fact that people um, have been enjoying one cut of the dead. Yeah, we get we get no kickback for recommending yeah, it, it's, but it's, it's been wild. really cool to see listeners and friends of ours chime in once they've seen it and so far everybody's really liked it right believe me i would love every movie to be as good as one cut of the dead sure i don't want to hate movies. sure that would be a great bare you know bare minimum uh base minimum of just like boy that was i just feel better for seeing that right i have enjoyed my time there and i wasn't looking around the theater and i wasn't <laughs> Looking at the ceiling to see if there's stuff rotting or there's old architecture that look, you know, it's, you know, that's the other thing about Colorado Space is that there's just so little imagination on display from everything from design to script. It's just like, maybe it's on, they brought so little. It's unrealistic for me to want a film to do Lovecraft in a way that's never been done before. I think that's, well, that's the interesting thing. We did think we were going to end up talking about Lovecraft a little bit. And I just, I do think that it's a mugs game to try to make a Lovecraftian movie to the letter. I don't think it can be done because he did not write for the screen. He wrote visually, but he does not write plot well. And he does not write character well at all. He doesn't write action, which is what movies tend to demand yeah. to get made in the first place, which is why you have a fist fight at the end of Color of Space. His creatures make certain films beyond their budget, of low-budget filmmakers. A Lovecraft adaptation can be one of two things, obviously. It could be formal Lovecraft. They're doing it straight, like The Farm. Right. or um, those bl- The black and white Call of Cthulhu. Which is still jerky. Yeah. I, li- I like it a lot, but when I mean jerky, I mean it's not... They're coming, they came up with a formal way to do it in a manner in which they could work around Lovecraft. By making it silent, they don't have to deal with a lot of that stuff. By no. making it short and in black and white, they captured Lovecraft in a way of feeling and spirit, but not again, not to the letter. I mean, I really like that film a lot, but mm. it's, it's a novelty in some ways, you know? It's not a film that you could release to theater. But I mean, when we're talking about Guillermo del Toro trying to make Mountains of Madness, which I think is a fool's yeah. errand. 
It seems ridiculous. I don't think it's a good idea unless unless he's not going to really make the movie of, What's the, he book, make of the story. The thing? Well, here's the thing. I mean, if you are talented, then the rules don't apply. If 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 you're Stuart Gordon making Reanimator, or to a lesser degree from Beyond, you are taking a short story, an aspect of a short story, and you are pouring in your ideas based on your budget. In the first place, he was making Lovecraft films as a fan and also because he didn't have to pay for the rights. That's one great reason people love doing Lovecraft. You're not paying for source material. That's a big expense out of the way right then and there. You're not paying Edgar Rice Burroughs' estate, the grand-grandchildren. You're not paying William Gibson or whatever. As big as Lovecraft is, he's still not Stephen King. He's still not that kind of... As many t-shirts as there are for sale and dice and things like that, Lovecraft is still not a sales force to be reckoned with for somebody to be just making Stephen King budget films or whatnot. It's not Harry Potter. But the thing is, Stuart Gordon in the 80s was on his... He just made two crazy, fun, small films. He took the aspects that he could run with and he added character, he added attitude, he added plot. He... You know, he, he, he did things you didn't see before. Right. He, he was, it was over the top and crazy. But are they Lovecraft films? That's super arguable. Reanimator? Is it a Lovecraft film? Well, here's the funny thing. It kind of is more than I think people might give it credit for because Herbert West Reanimator is not a very Lovecraft right. story. But is it Lovecraftian in the way that we think of Lovecraft? No. no. It's punky. It's goofy. It's crazy. It's... It's nuts. It's a comedy. Mm. You know, there's sex. There's there's women. You know, there's there's a lot. He changed the stuff around, but it is recognizably the story, but it has very little of the story in it. Uh, beyond, to, to a degree, same thing. I mean, he kinked it up. He made it crazier. It's not as funny, but I mean, in so, I think the Beyond is more Lovecraftian. Obviously, but the story is also more Lovecraft, and you've got the other dimensions, you've got right. the right. pineal gland. But uh, when you're going to make something like Color Out of Space or something that is, you know, empirically Lovecraftian, cosmic horror, colors that don't have color that you've ever yeah. seen before, unnameable, unknowable monsters and whatnot, the, the, the nature of reality, you can't show geometry that's never been seen before. You can't show the Hounds of Tindalo. So, well, that's Belknap Long, I think. But you know what I'm saying? You can't show wrong geometry and people go, wow, that geometry's wrong. You can't show a color that's got a new color. You can only take it for granted. But the thing is, you if you're going to show a 90-degree angle, it's going to be <laughs> right. like the pink and the purple and the colors. It means bringing something to the table, and that that's going to depend on how talented the person is bringing something to the table. And so far, Stuart Gordon's, in most people's minds, still wins because Reanimated is the best movie. It's not necessarily the best cosmic horror. The thing is more cosmic horror. But if you're going to take a story by Lovecraft and call it H.P. Lovecraft's this and film it, it's going to hinge a lot on the filmmakers uh, in a way that usually the source material will support them. There's not a lot of support there. Part of me says, oh, well, should we just turn this show into the review of Color Out of Space and talking about Lovecraft films? But I feel that the whole discussion becomes kind of meandering and clutchy and kind of... Because it, it's... There is no great example of a film where you could go, here's the blueprint that I really love. Yeah. 
when it comes yeah. to Lovecraft. Yeah. I would say it's The Thing, but the Lovecraft didn't write The Thing. Well, Lovecraft didn't write The Thing, and, and at the same time, The Thing is such an action-oriented film that there are aspects of it that are really, really Lovecraftian. It's kind of like you have to intellectualize it a little bit. You're not watching it and going, wow, this is really Lovecraft. In the Mouth of Madness is the one that tries the hardest, I think, right. to do Lovecraft. Of any film that I've seen adapting his okay. kind of stuff. I think it really just goes for broke and says, we're going to go with the mind fuckery. We're going to go with the nature of reality. We're going to go with cosmic horror. We're going to go with, with dread. We're going to go with uh, ripping the veil and all that shit. I don't think it works, but I think it gives the impression of working more than the others because it really is going for the um, up is down, down is up. And, and you know, yeah, and I think of movies like Prince of Darkness, which feel more love. I do, I do think Prince of Darkness is, maybe, I think you may have hit the nail on the head with that. Prince of Darkness, I think, hits that science, pseudoscience, occult Yeah, nexus that works really where, well. But I don't know, I don't know what can be done with Lovecraft. Somebody's going to break it at some point. Somebody right, and it'll will, seem so obvious. Yeah, I mean, somebody will break it. Find the podcast online at tearthemapartpodcast.home.blog. Listen on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music. Follow on Twitter at tearthempodcast. You can now support the podcast on Patreon. Patreon.com slash tearthemapartpodcast. Thank you to our two newest patrons, The Alan Smithy and Stephen Dedloff. Of course he's dead. The dosage was too large. You killed him. No, I did not. I gave him life. Now, if you don't mind, it's time we milk the alpacas. Alpacas.